It's four o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woohoo! This week, starring Mystery Music Library CEO. Yeah, baby. And thank you, fake audience. Thank you, fake band. Good fade. Hello, everybody. Let me say hello to the gang in the chat room. There you are. All right, let's see. Who do we have here? We've got Cass McKenty, John Pearson, Darren Fletcher, Alan Hall, Bob Gunnerfelt, Linda Cullum, Russell Nolan, Nancy Collell, Mark Stone, the Dirty Country Band, Ray Winch, Debbie Ward, Gloria Covington, Martin Gravel, Rip Wagner, Dean Turner, Terry Shaw, Carl Wurzbach, Vincent Nicotina, Harry Harlow, Darren Moss, uh, Dale Markley, Andre Stepanian, Let's Talk Fishing, uh, Andre Franz, uh, Rick Cabot Podmore, Jai King, is that Jay or Jai? I don't know. We know a Jai who spells it that way. Um, Dave Friedland, Ancient Robots, like that. Jonathan Morse, Dan Weber, Jim Stamper, Wind Chimes Music, KJ Nicole, Jesse J. Peck, Anyway, um, Michael McGraw, hello, everybody. Well, I hope you all had a pleasant weekend. Not much going on, right? <laughs> uh, not going to get into the political stuff, but wow, wow, wow. Um, I was just at the grocery store about an hour and a half ago, and the young man bagging my groceries said, uh, so did you hear they're coming to where we are? Uh, I'm not going to disclose the town I'm in, but... Uh, he said, yeah, they're coming here. Um, I know that people are amassing about, I don't know, I'd say 15 miles from here. Um, crazy, crazy, crazy time in America. And uh, anyway, yeah, I'm not going to comment any more than that. Just stay safe. Um, don't go outside. <laughs> Man, I look really tan today, and uh, I'm not that tan, but, you know, lighting's all the same as normal, but here we are. Um, I got to say, one thing I will say about all this is when I got back from the grocery store, I turned on the, the local news to see what was shaking, because we keep getting all these alerts that... Uh, um, uh, what do they call it, uh, you know, lockdown begins at 6 o'clock and then 5 o'clock and then 6 o'clock. I don't know if I should believe L.A. City or L.A. County. Uh, no, 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 we don't talk actual politics. We don't talk about whether we like the president or not here. That's not the purpose of the show. I was going to give a compliment to a gentleman who is the chief of police for Los Angeles. Uh, his name is Michael Moore, M-I-C-H-E-L, Moore, not the uh, movie guy. Um, and he gave an off-the-cuff speech that was so incredibly good. Seriously, I kept thinking, man, if one of the Kennedys had given this speech, people would have been impressed. Didn't look like he was reading it from a teleprompter. So um, maybe after today's show, go Google um, Michael, M-I-C-H-E-L Moore, uh, Chief Police Los Angeles, and see if you can find, uh, you know, his speech on YouTube or something. It was... I thought it was great tone, really, really uh, hit the nail, hit many nails on the head, and wow, what a speech. Anyway, so enough of that. Um, today, 
We're going to be joined momentarily by the Mystery Music Library CEO. And you guys know the rules. Um, several of you, maybe many of you actually know this person. Maybe you have stuff signed to uh, his library. Maybe you've hung out with him at the road rally, um, but keep a lid on it. Uh, we've been dealing with a, a troll issue today. Uh, that's what we all came to work to this morning. Um, with somebody trolling us and uh, last thing I want is for the troll to know who this gentleman is or any of that stuff so keep a lid on it um, we've got a long list of questions many of which you guys uh, gave us in the chat room on Friday and a bunch of stuff that he sent me so we're gonna have to uh, go rather quickly uh, which is tough because this gentleman is very articulate and really knows his subject matter. So um, <laughs> I may have to like, come on, we got it. On to the next one. Um, by the way, speaking of Australia, I see Darren Moss talking about uh, Australia. Uh, we have like four or five people from Australia joined taxi in the middle of the night for us last night. So hello, Aussies. Uh, all right. I'm going to call this gentleman now and see if I, for the next uh, 85 minutes, I can go without mentioning his name. Keypad, there we go. Hello there, Mystery Music Library owner. How are you? <laughs> uh, you're, you're, you have no idea how glad you are to be masked today. We uh, had somebody trolling us this morning that was a handful, so I'm glad that he will not know who you are. Oh, my God. Yeah. Trolling you guys? Yeah, just uh, he got a critique he didn't like and posted it... Uh, on our Facebook page, and then we came to find out that he actually uh, edited the critique. Um, so it wasn't the actual critique he got. Some of the stuff on there was from the actual critique. But yeah, when people start modifying those documents and putting them up there going, see, this is what I got, you got to wonder. Anyway, let's move, yeah, let's move on to the good stuff. Thank you for taking the time. I know how incredibly busy you are. Um, and I really, really appreciate you uh, taking the time to help educate the folks watching the show today. It looks like we have a pretty full house. A lot of my uh, favorite taxi TV people are in the chat room, so glad that uh, they're going to learn from you today. So let's just jump right into it. You know, I was so tempted to get like one of those voice uh, <laughs> things that was, would mask, mess me all up, make me sound like Darth Vader. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we could come up with software to do that. Absolutely. Uh, you just got a little quiet. Are you still the same distance from your phone? I am. I oh. am. All right. Um, can you guys hear the mystery man okay? I'm waiting because there's a little lag in the chat room. No worries. No worries. We're at least so, uh, uh, being safe and socially di distancing. 
We are. All right. Everybody says sounds good. Great. Yay. All right. Yeah. Lots of people saying they can hear you well. Um, and okay. So the first question was from Robert Valacourse. This is from last Friday's chat. Uh, and he says, what makes you want to pull your hair out with when dealing with submissions, assuming you have hair? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've definitely lost some hair over the years. Um, let's see what makes me pull my hair. out. Well, there's a laundry list of things that make me pull my hair out. Um, let's see. Uh, one, I guess the most important thing is, is that people who are submitting know what they're submitting, know that their music is clear of any encumberments. Um, you know, I, 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 my list could go on and on and on. I mean, uh, I I get I get things with no not from taxi, but I get things with no metadata. Um, I don't know, you know, if I have to go back to an MP3 at a later date, I don't know where it came from. I get uh, we transfer files with no names, no contact information, uh, and it it. It becomes daunting to try and track it back down at a later date. That's that's one of the many things. Um, I also have people that I deal with that that unfortunately don't really understand the business, meaning they don't understand their own rights and what rights they have in their music. Right. And they may or may not have talked with their co-writers about the fact that they're submitting a piece of music. Um, I can't tell you how many times I, I'll go down the the path of, oh, this is great. Yeah, we'd love to add this, only to find out there was a co-writer. And then when you get into the weeds with the agreements, for whatever reason, the co-writer doesn't want to move forward or, oh, I, I wanted to do something different. And so there's, you know, I would encourage writers to get a lot of this worked out before the fact. Yeah, and we're going to actually touch on that stuff. It's either in your your notes to me or other questions that are maybe a little uh, more specific. This was a pretty broad question. So let's uh, keep going. Well, it, is, it is a broad question and it's a good one. And I, I could really probably write a book on it. Yeah, you um, should. Actually. You know, it's, it's, it's multiple things. I mean, you and I've had so many conversations, Michael. I mean, you know, it's, it could be the kind of thing where, uh, it's it's things like uh, using acronyms for a title, right. uh, as opposed to what a title actually is. Do you know? So you know, it could be as simple as that. It's like if if your song is called "I Love You Today," don't send me a file that says "I L Y T." Um, remember the Cream song S W A B L R. Speaking of songs with acronyms. I don't remember that song. All right. Well, there was a song, I think it was on Cream's first or second record, and it was like Swabbler or something. And I actually asked Eric Clapton what what that meant. And he looked at me like, how could you not know? And he said she was like a beaded rainbow. It's like, how, <laughs> how the hell would I ever know that? But, uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> well, I'd be curious. Uh, well, okay, so I'd be curious. How was that registered? Yeah, I have no idea. Right? Yeah. Yep. 
Well, and I'll get I'll get things from from writers that uh, uh, are fantastic songs, and and it'll be titled "One Way Coming to Me," and we do a lot of due diligence here, so we check things, um, meaning that if I get something and we're going to sign it, I check to see if it's already been registered. If it has, who it was registered with? I'll check out. Oh, look at that! It's you know, instead of "I love you today," it's just "I love today." So, uh, one digit off makes it completely a challenge and those are things that have to be cleaned up unfortunately at a later date and that does eat up dare i say a lot of our time well i know you guys are particularly uh really really good at doing your due diligence better than other libraries that i know so yeah um if to do it right takes time clearly it, it definitely does it definitely does i mean you know, we like to see if something was already registered. I can't tell you how many times people send us music only to find out, oh, it's already been registered, it's signed to another publisher. Um, it's encumbered, meaning, you know, I mean, we're an exclusive catalog, so that means we can't move forward with that piece of music, unfortunately. And, and some writers, we have writers, another thing that I'll pull my hair out, somebody signed uh, uh, something with CD Baby, and inadvertently check the box that's got CD Baby uh, listed as the publisher. So you go to BMI or ASCAP and you find out, oh, this song's already got CD Baby listed as the publisher, and then you have to unwind that. And right. many times writers want to realize that they even cross that box. Yeah, and it's not just CD Baby. It's TuneCore, it's DistroKid, any of those services that offer any sort of admin deal or publishing deal, and people see that sentence that says would you like us to help you monetize your music oh sure they check the box they don't realize they've entered into a publishing agreement we talk about that all the time on this show it's it's very important i mean i wish in my perfect world michael that you know everybody had a the opportunity and the, the income and the time to go take publishing 101 courses um that would certainly make my life a lot easier um and then business could just run as most businesses run, you know, what, what you got is a lot of very talented people out there that unfortunately the business side of things is challenging for them. And I mean, that's why publishers exist, but it, it can create a lot of roadblocks to moving forward and actually doing business. So the more you know about the business you're in, the better off you're going to be to to move things through to not to not hit roadblocks with supervisors or with publishers uh, or with networks. Right, um, I hear about this problem probably three or four times every week of my life now. A couple of years ago, <clears throat> excuse me, it wasn't that big a deal. Didn't hear about it, but. So many people are putting their music online. I understand that. They want a, a digital distributor. I certainly understand that. But they've got to know what they're signing, which is something that you mentioned in your notes to me. If you don't understand what you're signing, don't sign. Have an attorney review anything you're unsure of. So, Well, it's, it's, it's a huge thing. And I know everybody doesn't have the capital or the assets to hire an attorney at $400, $500 an hour. Um, you don't need to necessarily have an attorney. I mean, there's so much 
information that's available out there um, for free. Um, free college courses, free uh, uh, blogs. I mean, you, you just have to be careful where you're getting your information from. But, you, you know, Taxi has a forum, too, that I've never been on, but I, I, I know that people go to it to check and verify. And I would highly recommend if you're members to be doing that. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the taxi form is great because you can get two or three or five opinions on something like that. Should I sign this deal? And they can do it without mentioning the company. They could just, you know, quote some uh, particulars from the clauses and say, you know, is this typical? Is this kosher? Is this something that you guys would typically sign? I agree with you. Anybody who doesn't know uh, should hire an attorney, but you're right. It can be four or 500 bucks an hour. And, and you know what? Some of our members have already used the attorneys and know the answers because they've actually forked out the money to hire an attorney. So yeah, it, it's secondhand information, but it's really good secondhand information. Well, and, and I've spoken to, as you know, attorneys that don't agree. I mean, it's just like uh, health experts. I mean, one, one, one doctor could tell you you need a cast, and another doctor says, no, it's just a sprain. I mean, um, you know, you want to kind of do your due diligence. And writers need to know where they're going to draw the line in the sand as far as what rights they're willing to give up or sign away. I mean, different writers feel differently about those sorts of things. I mean, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm an exclusive catalog. Some people just cannot get behind doing an exclusive agreement. You know, I've been in business for 30 plus years. Um, obviously, there's a lot of people that are into exclusive agreements. That being said, it's not for everybody. It's just like when you go into, if you don't, don't go into a Mexican restaurant, if you don't want Mexican food, don't go into, a, <laughs> you know, it's like you, you have to know what you want, where you're going, what your intentions are with your music. I mean, I get being creative and I'm, I'm a creator myself. I've, all I've done is music my entire life. I encourage being creative, but there is this business side. Once you engage in the business side, um, things get a little bit more difficult. And, the good uh, news is that so much of what you learn in one instance will be applicable to other instances. So after oh, a while, you build up your own little, you know, mental catalog of do's and don'ts on the business side, and it becomes pretty routine, I would think. Well, I would like to think. Um, and the reason I do this, you know, these programs with you and why I've done you know, rallies with you is, you know, at this point in my career, anything I can pass on information wise, that's going to help. I'm, I'm more than happy to, you know, to do that. That being said, you know, I have my biases as well. You know, I'm a big advocate of copyright and a lot of people these days aren't. And so you have to, you know, pick your battles and know who you're going with and you have to go with who you feel comfortable with. And, you know, the people that have been with Taxi for years and years and years, and you and I both know who they are, those people have figured it out, you know, and they, they, they know how to navigate pretty much all the different, you know, yeah. offerings that people have, whether it be exclusive, non-exclusive, they know what it means. And if they sign a non-exclusive uh, agreement with a, that company, they know what the 
the pluses and minuses are. And if they sign an exclusive deal with me, same thing. They know the pluses and minuses. And and for every decision you make, there's going to be pluses and minuses. While we're on the subject of uh, exclusive and non-exclusive, um, you and I were talking the other day about keeping track of your stuff because you've had instances in, in your professional life as a music library owner and CEO where people have submitted material to you, totally forgetting that they had submitted to, submitted it to somebody else and signed a deal in the past, and they totally forgot. So I want to take this opportunity to mention Composer Catalog. For those of you who are unaware of it, it's software that's inexpensive, composercatalog.com. It was built by a composer, one of our longtime members, Keith LeBrant, who's a programmer, built it. Many of our members use it. So for those of you who are new to the show or new to Taxi, don't know about it, pick up Composer Catalog. You can actually download a fully working copy of it. And it keeps track of everything you've got in your catalog, where you've pitched it, where you've signed it, exclusive, non-exclusive, all those pertinent details um, so that you don't make those mistakes. Because how much does that come back to bite you on the butt, um, uh, mystery man? <laughs> I almost called you your name. Well, well, you know, it. it thankfully, again, in, in 30 plus years, that hasn't um, bit me in a way that was business adverse, thankfully. Um, again, after 30 some years, I've got you know, goodwill in the industry. People know who we are. And, um, you know, people screw up. I mean, humans are humans and mistakes happen. Um, what happens is, is I, I just get down and honest. And if, if that happens with a writer, I'll, I'll confront them and just say, Hey, you know, what happened? And then, you know, I'll get I'll get word on what happened, and then it's a matter of cleaning up the mess, which means that I have to go to either the the supervisor, maybe all of these people, the supervisor, the network, um, because it involves cue sheets, it involves registrations, it involves copyright, it involves you know publishing, it involves you know getting to the other catalog, making sure that they remove that piece of music from their catalog, um, it, it eats up quite a bit of time, unfortunately. Um, so the less mistakes, the better. Um, but, you know, you and I have talked about a multitude of things I've had to clean up. And this last year has been uh, unbelievably endless with stuff. Um, and it's largely it's it's human error it's not because anybody was doing anything that i want to say was intentionally illicit it was just people are trying to do a lot and, and mistakes happen right uh you know thankfully uh you know it doesn't get to the level of legality where there's a lawsuit no when but it, it gets could, that when it, it gets that far then it's really going to get ugly and you know I'll be fine because I've been indemnified by the writers in my agreements. But writers, this is where writers need to know what they're signing, and they should be keeping track of where they're signing things and and who has what for for how long. And uh, those are important things. I mean, it, it doesn't. I mean, 
a software. It could be as simple as a Word document. It could be a, an Excel sheet that has the song title. Um, it has the writer's information. This is the other thing. You guys need to know, oh, my co-writer has 50%. No, my co-writer has 10%. No, my co-writer has whatever that percentage is. That's stuff that should be agreed before music starts getting pitched, long before it gets pitched. Right. And I've had to clean that up. Well, he only he only wrote the the title of the tune, and I go well, you know, old school publishers would look at that completely different than what's going on now, but it really it just comes down to an agreement between writers, and writers sometimes get uncomfortable talking to their co-writers about the business side of things. Hey, you get this much percentage of this, um, you know. I kind of. Again, I'm kind of old school. I like the Lennon-McCartney style, where just it was Lennon-McCartney. If Paul wrote it, it was Lennon-McCartney. If John wrote it, it was Lennon-McCartney. Right. And it kept things simple, and I don't think either of them were harmed by that. Yeah, definitely not. Um, not until Yoko showed up, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there was my one decent joke all day. So let's talk about metadata for a minute. Um, sure. You and I were talking the other day about um, people doing something like leaving a comma out or an apostrophe or a period or a digit. Just the tiniest little thing can make a world of difference about finding you, um, find, finding their music being found, their music being registered properly, their name making it to the all-important cue sheet so they get paid. Fill them in about, uh, back me up on that. <laughs> Well, yeah, so it is absolutely true. So every digit, every letter, every comma, dash, everything matters. Um, and I've, I've said to many writers, think of it as a credit card. Uh, it's credit card information. One digit off and your transaction doesn't happen. You don't get whatever the heck you were buying. Um, it doesn't go through. It doesn't get to your – imagine your bank statement. If, if you were putting deposits of money – and your, your, your account number was off by one digit. That money doesn't go into your account. And this is the same thing that happens when it comes to song titles, when it comes to authorship, writers. Um, I mean, there are a lot of writers with PKAs, you know, professionally known as, which is fine, but I, I try and encourage people, you know, know, know who you are professionally and stick with it. Don't don't be changing things, adding a period here, adding a dash there um, that maybe wasn't in a prior version of right. something that that you released. Try and, and and decide who you are, how you want to be known professionally out in the industry, and and don't change it. Or if you do, make sure everybody out there knows that it got changed because otherwise. You're losing money. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's easy to forget that stuff. Look, I don't remember when I signed my name, like on a tax return, did I do it with my middle initial or did I not? Um, you know, what's on my driver's license? What's on my passport? We all forget that stuff. So if you want to get paid, be really careful to make sure that there's consistency there. Um, well, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, John is not Jonathan. Right. Um, you know, uh, 
Robert and Bob. And, you know, I mean, there's just so many variations on a theme and, and it's fine. It's fine to have nicknames. It's fine to, to shorten things. Just make sure that's clear with, with your PRO, make sure it's clear with your publisher. I mean, you know, with all of my agreements, when I, when I'm talking to a writer, we're emailing back and forth, they may be calling themselves John, but when then I dig deeper and go, how are you listed with your PRO? And they may say Jonathan, which there's you know, a yeah. handful of ways of spelling Jonathan. So then I need to know how do you spell that? And if you know, if the more you assume, the more chances there's gonna be error and you're gonna lose money. So try and try and dot your I's and cross your T's. I mean I know it's it's just one more thing to think about, but if you're in the business to make a buck, uh, you could be losing money if you don't. Um, also, you mentioned that you like having stuff like the the BPM, the key of the song, the time signature in the metadata. Um, are there really times where you do an internal search by time signature? I guess like it, maybe you're looking for a waltz thing and you go look, you know, you search up three, four times. Absolutely. Okay. Interesting. Good to know. Absolutely. I'll, I'll have, I'll have emails from supervisors saying I need something between 105 and 110 BPM because it's a dance scene. They already cut the scene to this track and the track will be somewhere in that BPM range. And they're needing to replace it because it didn't get cleared through the clearance department. Um, and they're looking to replace it. Um, give me an example of why you would need the key of the song to be in the metadata. Well, uh, similar thing. Uh, somebody's singing. Somebody's singing or somebody's uh, uh, humming along. Uh, oh, there's, there's on a, screen. There's a, there's, there's a million reasons for it. it. It could even be it works well in a transition from the underscore, and they're looking for a song that does a nice transition, so they want it in C minor. Wow. Great example. Um, okay, now let's talk about... Uh, well, and, and Michael, one other thing. Yeah. I mean, it's important for writers, for everybody in the music business, if you're, if you're writing music... It, it doesn't hurt to know the beats per minute, and it doesn't hurt to know key signatures. That's 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 you know basic music knowledge, um, and you know knowledge is power. And the more people know about the business they're in, the better. Absolutely. Um, one of the things we talked about the other day was using services. There are several good services out there now where somebody's a songwriter let's say i'm a songwriter and i do an acoustic song called i love you deb uh and i want to add a full band and a real vocalist to it so i send my song out to one of those services and they do a great job of producing it to for me and i get get it back in my hands and i start submitting it through taxi or through other means and uh now it ends up going to a library and let's say that the library is not as buttoned up as you are 
um, and they don't do their due diligence very well, and that song gets forwarded to a slot on a major motion picture and ends up in a Hollywood blockbuster movie, and now they come to find out that the singer who sang on the track or the bass player or the drummer or keyboardist, whatever, um, that those people haven't signed a work-for-hire agreement with that service. How bad can that be? Well, um, bad, how bad could it be? Worst case scenario is there's a lawsuit. That's, that's, I would have to say that would be the worst case scenario. And where, yeah, let's use your, your analogy. It goes into a major motion picture and I mean major, let's say, you know, mission impossible or something at that level. And then uh, what would most likely happen is, is that singer reaches out to the production company and raises a flag and says, hey, that's me singing on it. You know, I didn't sign that away. And then it, the production company is going to reach out to the supervisor who's going to reach out to wherever they got the piece of music from. And you're going to have a lot of very powerful people, very angry, and uh, and when you're talking a motion picture at that level with that amount of money behind it, um, that's some scary stuff. And you can believe that they have an army of attorneys um, right. that are going to come after you. Uh, and so what kind of trouble can you get into if they come after you? Um, and, and again, assuming that they've held you harmless in the deal as a library owner, um, and, and well, that means well, they they would they would hold well they they would hold me harmless from a legal standpoint, right? Because I you know my agreements indemnify that the who I'm doing agreement with that person has or that group of people has the 100 percent right to enter into the agreement. If they don't have something in writing from that vocalist then they didn't have the right to enter into the agreement in the first place. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because that singer on that master, maybe they didn't write anything, um, but as the singer of the song, they actually become part owner and the master. Wow. I know that sir, uh, there's one service I'm actually uh, good friends with the owner. It's called StudioPros.com, and I believe that they've got that in their deal, that all the people who work on their stuff are, are actually hired as work for hire. I'm not sure that that's true for other services out there. So I would caution everybody, if you're using an outsourced uh, production service, the, one of the first things you should ask them is, are your people hired as work for hires and do you have documentation on that and you would want to see copies of that so that you've got it in your file for that song if you're going to submit it and uh you know have it land in a major anything i mean even you know a weekly episodic tv show it doesn't have to be going into a tom cruise blockbuster well exactly and you know i've dealt with this as you might imagine uh in a myriad of ways and I won't put something like that in my catalog. There's no way I'll do it until the writer gets that cleaned up, meaning that if the writer can actually get in touch with the singer 
And, and I mean, look, I think these services are, are legit and I'm sure they're, they're coming from a very clean place. It's just that all it takes is one. And would I be sued as a library? No, but what I, what would probably happen is I'd be blacklisted. Meaning right. they would go, Oh, I can't trust X because we just got effed up. Yeah, and not only does that burn you from that relationship, it may cause other relationships to fall by the wayside because word travels pretty quickly in, in our little corner of the industry. Um, so not only does it affect your income and your ability to do business, but it affects all the other musicians who are also in your catalog. So that one little mistake can rain down on a lot of heads. Well, it, it can, and my catalog in particular is very big about um, building uh, the artists I represent, building their names out in the community with the people, my, my, my clients. And so I push my writers. I push them, you know. And so if it blows up and your name happens to be on that, um, that could also bode very poorly for you, no matter what catalog you're in going forward. Uh, a similar thing would be true for co-writers. Um, and, and I've seen examples of people that have tried to hide it when, let's say the Manny, Moe, and Jack are all co-writers on a song. Um, they were best friends when they were in their 20s, and now Manny is, uh, you know, has the music on his computer. He joins Taxi, submits the music. We forward it to your library. Um, you do your due diligence, and Manny says, uh, oh yeah, it, it's just me and Mo. We're the writers on it, because he knows that he hasn't been in touch with Jack for 25 years, and he heard that Jack may have passed away or moved to another country, so they just don't mention the fact that Jack was a writer on that. Is that a similar, you know, near catastrophic or maybe truly catastrophic mistake? Not really with the scenario you, you mentioned. I mean... Well, give me one that would be. Well, I mean, look, if, the, if, if writer number three passed away, um, I mean, you know, I would go down the rabbit hole because that's what we do here. I mean, if it's a, a song that's 20 years old, you know, you go back, most likely somebody registered it or it was released somewhere. Um, so I'd go digging and I'd, I'd most likely find that third writer and then I'd bring their attention to it. Hey, why didn't you mention this person? And then I'd get whatever story I would get. Um, you know, there's been music I've turned away. I can't tell you great music, yeah. some fantastic music, but because I can't get to the bottom of ownership and 100% control, I have to walk away. And it's, it's, there's nothing worse when you're hearing a great song and you're going, oh my God, this is ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching for years to come. And you can't put, I can't put it in my catalog because I can't dot my I's and cross my T's. I can't verify that, that this particular track is unencumbered. Now, if somebody lies to me, I mean, look, you know, that's not so good. I no. mean, especially if they put it in a contract. I mean, 
I've had managers reach out to me on behalf of writers that they supposedly represent. I've had managers forge signatures. Um, they yeah. happen to know the social security numbers of their writers. Um, and I've had writers call me after the fact, this is why I'm so due dil- I do so much due diligence, call me later and go, hey, you know, how did you place that in the spin? And I'll go, well, because I have an agreement signed by you with this da 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 And they'll go, I didn't sign that. <laughs> so, I mean, are there liars? Are there people out there that do bad business? Yes. Um, can it be cleaned up? Yes. Can you be sued? Yes. Um, this is why uh, we publishers, uh, you know, we have to try and do very, very clean business and try and work with people that are reputable. And um, as you know, I'm very about that. Yes, you are. Yeah, very you're, about uh, that. Uh, and once you're on the end with me, and I know that we're doing clean business, we're golden. Except for the occasional mistake, but we won't tell that story. Um, yeah, well, again, you know. This is an honest mistake. It's it, honest mistake. You know, could it have been bad? Yeah, could have been very, very bad. Um, but this is where, I mean, really, really keeping track of, of what you're doing. I mean, I, I deal with a lot of writers that write with a lot of co-writers, and that's fine. Just keep track of who it is. And if you're sending your music out to five different publishers, know who they were that you sent it to. And if you sign with one of them, make sure you put that somewhere in an Excel or in the software that you're describing, somewhere. Write it down, sign, you know, I love you, Deborah, to whatever the catalog is. You know, if there's a reversion clause on the catalog, if it's a five-year reversion, make sure you write that down and what the date would be. As much information as you can keep on because these are assets. These songs are assets. This is, you know, it can be money in the bank, which is, you know, what you've been preaching for years. Yeah. Monetize your music. Absolutely. Um, let's but go. there's the other side of it, which is a lawsuit. And a minimum copyright infringement lawsuit, I think, these days is starting at about 50 grand. Not to mention the legal fees. Um, well, that, that can be daunting as well. Okay, so, so, yeah, so where very were we? Quickly, I just wanted to throw a couple other things at, at you or at the, the writers. Um, I am running into some interesting things these days where for, for whatever reason, with vocals, with songs, with vocals, I'm getting things where uh, there is not an instrumental mix run at the same time as the vocal. And when I reach out to the writer and I go, hey, that's great, I need the corresponding instrumental, um, there are times, thankfully not all the time, but there are times where the writer doesn't have that corresponding instrumental. They didn't run it off at the same time as the vocal. And then they'll reach out to a producer or their friend or whatever and try and rerun the mix. And it isn't the same. They're using some different plugins. They're using... Uh, different EQ for whatever reason they didn't save the 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 session so I would just encourage everybody to always run an instrumental mix when you're doing songs and on the same thing subject of songs if you're doing hip-hop 
and the lyrics are explicit, um, be sure you do a clean mix, a radio mix, because there are some networks still running out there, not the HBOs and Showtimes of the world, but NBC, CBS, they won't air it if there's any explicit lyrics. So um, just a, a word to the wise. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and going back to the issue of, of doing your mix minus vocal, yeah, keep all your faders at exactly the same level. And even if your two mix out looks low, if, you're, if your mix bus level looks low because the vocal's no longer in there, leave it where it is because they'll intercut it. They may want to drop in a voiceover for a commercial or have a scene where they just want some instrumental section of your song playing and they take the vote, you know, they'll cut to the uh, mix minus vocal part. So don't compensate by bringing up your mix bus level when you take the vocal out. That's a really basic thing, but a lot of people don't know that. So there's the engineer and me spreading the word on that. Yeah, it's very true. It's very, very true. So let's move on to a creative kind of question. Um, John Pearson asked the other day, do you see a trend coming as far as what genre is most syncable for the short term? For the short term? Yeah, meaning, you, you know, like in the, you know, the next few months or over the next year, not like in the next couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, do which, you... Which genre? Yeah, or genres, well, plural. you know... The genre thing, uh, which genre? Well, goodness gracious, it, it almost, I want to say the number one genre out there, which has been the number one genre and continues to be, is hip-hop. Um, that being said, uh, hip-hop now is, is so bleeding into pop music that those those monikers are getting harder and harder and harder to separate. Is it pop? Is it hip hop? Um, and then when you've got Billie Eilish out on the scene, I mean, where right. <laughs> lines are starting to get blurred. Um, now, if a show shows up and and this has happened, as you know, um, and everything they want is retro sounding rock, you know, grungy rock and this show is huge like when sons of anarchy was running i mean that they just couldn't get enough of it right. so when those sorts of things come along you know that trend gets in place and you know there was when uh, dexter was happening um anything miami based whether it be latin hip-hop r&b cuban music that was insanely popular for eight years while that show ran um so it's it's kind of paying attention to that you know but i would also say uh, to the riders out there and i've said this to quite a few taxi riders it isn't always what's hot now that i would encourage you to pay attention to um there's a lot of music that has been around for a lot of years, Frank Sinatra music, big band music, uh, jazz, um, classical music. Um, I've gotten some amazing uh, classical music from, from taxi riders. Um, and that music does not go away. That music will live, I mean, there, people will be asking for uh, uh, Chopin and Beethoven, piano sonatas, 
until the end of time. And same with, you know, things, anything having to do with Vegas, you know, prime era Sinatra Vegas. I mean, those sensibilities aren't going away. Beatles music, music from the 60s, 70s, 80s, as we all saw with Stranger Things. I mean, they couldn't get enough 80s music. Right. So it kind of ebbs and flows. But I would say, you know, if if you want to have music that's going to be around or or be in your catalog and be making money forever and ever and ever, I I wouldn't ignore those. I mean, I remember when dubstep came along, that was the rage um, for maybe two years. um, And now nobody cares. Yeah, why is that? You know, that is a bit of a mystery to me because dubstep was just like, we couldn't open up our computer at work without seeing a request for dubstep. And now it's literally once a year that we see that. Well, exactly. Exactly. And and that's where, you know, it's it's good to be on the cutting edge. It's good to be, you know, really current and contemporary. Um, and that that's fantastic. But, you know, when you're writing know in the style of what was happening in the 90s pop you know the britney spears the smash mouth the sugar ray you know those those trends they go away and they're not as popular anymore or green day or whatever they're just not as popular anymore um not that there's anything wrong with that music at all um in fact you know people come to me for 90s stuff when when it's a, a 90s show Mm-hmm. Um, they want '90s hip hop, or they want '90s pop rock, or, or you know, '80s has just not gone away, and I don't think it's going to anytime soon. Um. So, if you had, <laughs> getting back to the original question, so there really isn't a genre that you see on the horizon is this is going to be really hot. It's adding some depth to your catalog and, and kind of having a little bit of everything that you just mentioned, if you're capable of doing those things well? Well, I think so. Um, as far as the hot genre, um, again, I think the number one genre is, is hip hop and pop. Um, but, but I would say that going uh, across all genres, what I believe is going to be happening, and you and I've talked about this as well, is I think people are going to be looking for uplifting music. I think they're going to be looking for things that are inspirational, things that give a sense of hope, things that give a sense of purpose. And I mean, we've, we've, you know, coming through COVID and through some of this other stuff, as I, you know, talked to you, I don't know, a week or so ago, not unlike the depression, you know, after, after the the depression of the thirties, the music that was on the streets was, you know, uh, on the sunny side of the street or pennies from heaven. They were songs that were uplifting, that, that made you in the darkest of times, hopefully feel a little bit better about your life. And I think that's going to be the case for a while here. And that's going to be across all genres. So it's not a genre answer. It's more uh, a, a sensibility question. And that even goes to solo piano. Right. I think inspirational solo piano pieces uh are going to be very needed. I actually emailed Tom, uh, who's the head of our A&R department, last night, said um, we should start running listings for healing. Any any form of music that can bring about healing or underscore the emotion of it's a time to heal is going to be big. I, I think so. 
I think so. And, you know, uh, again, not unlike the, the 60s, you know, all you need is love. I mean, yep. Ooh, it, 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 it's still with us, you know, it's still with us. And, uh, and that, but that I think goes across all genres. You could be a singer songwriter writing about that. You could be a solo instrumentalist and be creating hopeful pieces of music. Um, I think, you know, it could be trending possibly more towards uh, music in major keys as, a fo- as opposed to minor keys. Then again, I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when all these productions open back up. Yeah. Um, I, I the think that... on the street is they're chomping at the bit to open up. Oh, I can't blame them. Uh, yeah. Uh, and here we are, uh, you know, uh, the day that we were supposed to be opening back up and certainly in the major cities, I think uh, everybody is wise to put plywood on the windows of their store right now. I've been seeing it all over town. Yep. I've been seeing it all over town. And it's a, it's, it, it's a, it's a shame, you know, it's, it's just, it's a, a, a dark kind of feeling and it's, it's, um, it's ominous and it's scary for some people. And, um, you know, again, I've got the benefit of having a few years on me to know that we'll come out the other side of this. But um, when you're in it, it's it's difficult. And and if you as a writer are feeling that, hey, you know what? Write about it. Yeah. And, and don't write specifically about it. Don't talk about the fact that, you know, don't mention COVID-19. Don't mention um, we're going to get through these protests and riots. It's all going to be good. Talk about a brighter day will come, you know, or we need to heal general statements like that. For those of you, you know, I know you regulars in the chat room know this stuff already, but for new folks, they should know that as well. Um, well yeah, I mean, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, come together or try to love one another right now. I mean, that was a very broad lyric, but it was a huge hit in the 60s. And, you know, we dealt with a lot of pretty ugly stuff in the 60s, and the music reflected that. Yeah, for those of us who are old enough to remember those days, it kind of makes us a little less scared of what's going on now, because you're absolutely right. We will come out the other end, but it's, you know, it's kind of like going through surgery. It's going to hurt for a while. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not optimum, that's for sure. I've never seen anything like this as far as the the... Uh, film and television industry. I mean, it's 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 crazy what's going on out there. But again, you know, I I know that there's new networks that are being born as we speak, and um, I am getting approached daily by uh, promo departments. They're they're gearing up. I mean, they're absolutely gearing up for the other side of this. And so when that happens. The floodgates are going to open, and believe you me, all you taxi riders, there's going to be so much business, it's going to make your head spin. Let's talk about promos for a minute. Uh, obviously, there are all kinds of different promos. Somebody who's doing a promo for NASCAR would probably want you know, metal or rock or edgy country rock. Um, somebody who's doing a promo for a soap opera would want a romantic thing. Somebody who's doing... A, a promo for the blacklist would want something else. What are some genres or styles or topics that you feel would be useful for promos? Well, lyrically, uh, again, it's it's overcoming obstacles. It's um, we'll survive. 
there was a this last year and a half anything uh, about you know, especially with sports shows that were happening, um, shows that were very pro, um, just overcoming obstacles. That lyrically, that was. Uh, Huge piece of the promo department, um, superhero type things. Um, you know, I've got the power. Um, I can do. You know, I nothing's going to stop me. Um, and a lot of the popular music that was used lyrically was along those lines. Uh, from an instrumental standpoint, what I'm seeing is um, they're liking things in a big way to almost emulate. Uh, the trailer mo where it, it really has yeah where it has a beginning and it, it builds and it gets to uh, a big moment drops off goes through like a b section lets it simmer for a bit and then ends really big i have stuff where they want uh, back to the solo piano thing they want things that are very uh moving generally with promo they want movement um, they don't want things to just sit there. Uh, if you get too introspective, eh, might work for the first 10 seconds of a promo, but it won't carry a promo. The are, promo needs to move. Are promos almost always 30 seconds? Uh, no. And so what are the common time um, elements people should be concerned with? I mean, uh, are there 60-second, 90-second, two-minute promos, and what length? Because people are going to ask me this. So does that mean that I should record stuff that goes with these timings, or should I just do two- and three-minute pieces, and they'll edit? Give them a little education on that score. Well, yeah, you never know. Once the music leaves here, you don't know what's in the hands of an editor, what they're going to need or use or want to use. You know, if, if perfect scenario is you hit a home run and you hand them a, uh, a minute piece of music for a 60-second spot and it's, it's the perfect piece and it, it, there's no editing that's needed and they just drop it in. Um, but I would say, you know, if you, you know, my clientele in the promo department world it's pretty extensive. So, you know, HBO promos can go a lot longer than NBC promos or CBS promos. Um, and so, you know, if it's a two minute piece of music, I would say, okay, so a two minute piece of music, but you might want to think with your BPM that you're paying attention to, that you're making edit points, meaning at 30 seconds, 60 seconds, that those times on the grid are places where you may want to have movement or lack of movement, a break in the piece, um, where an editor can go, oh my God, that's great, at 30 seconds, he dropped out the, the horns and the strings and it went down to just a pulse. You know what I'm saying? Do they have to be concerned about things like a legato string line hanging over or a reverb tail or a piano note ringing through that dead zone that's editable, or is that not an issue? I would, I would say, uh, it would depend on the piece of music. It would depend on what was happening at the moment. I mean, I listen to so much of this stuff, it, it gets to a point where you just you just know, mm -hmm. and there's no rules. It just depends on the piece of music and, and where it's going. Um, each piece of music is unique to itself. There's no guarantee that if you don't use a legato string, you're going to have that much more of a chance. 
Um, they may want that legato string to have a, a sense of tension holding over where there's no pulse below it, because that that one string up high with you know in a in a nice reverb could create a sense of tension or 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 pause that keeps you interested in oh, okay what's going to happen next. Right, um, and what about? Um, buttoned endings or, you know, a stinger ending. I mean, we all know that a stinger ending should be, nobody should ever have fades in anything they do because they're fairly unusable in our world. So should they try and write stuff in those sections? Let's say it's, you know, it's a, a three-act promo piece of music that you've created with a beginning, a middle, and an end, and you're going to try and have edit points at 30, 60, and then an end at 90, just hypothetically throwing that out there. Should they sure. try and make those edit points be sort of like sting endings? I No. I mean, you can. I mean, there there is, how do I say this? There is no, uh, this is the way to do it. And I wish I wish I could say there was, but there there isn't. It really depends on the on the piece of music. And every time, uh, I mean, I've done this for a while, but every time you think you know, oh, this is absolutely going to work, then next thing you know, somebody comes up and goes, no, no, actually, I want it to do this thing that you never thought they would have ever asked for. Oh, that sounds like advertising agencies right there. <laughs> well, this is this is it, and and. Um, you know, I do a lot of business with HBO promo, um, and all those promo producers, they have this, this sort of thing in mind. There's sort of this, uh, I'm just talking about this one particular network. They have this, this sort of sensibility, but they're always looking for a twist on it. So if, if I were to say, oh, do this and you'll get a placement, that may or may not be true because they're they're always trying to be creative too. So just when it's you know you think you've got the formula, then they they switch it up a bit. Um, can you give us a range of what promos pay versus? Actually, let's let's talk about a, six million dollars. Wow, that's awesome! <laughs> I, I almost just said your name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am um, mystery, mystery man. Yeah, that's right. Um, MML, uh, mystery music library. Oh, MMLC, mystic, or <laughs> whatever. Um, although, although I've been found out, I've already gotten emails from some of the taxi riders. Oh, I'm <laughs> sure they're they're like, I'm so cool. I figured it out. Shame on you guys. Leave them alone. Damn it! I'm trying to keep them engaged. Um, let's talk about ranges of payments for sync fees on a song with a vocal in episodic television on ABC, NBC, CBS, or Fox, major networks, broadcast networks. What's the range for that? Oh, God. Um, it could be quite wide. Um, and I would tell you that you know, I'm a, I'm a library owner, so I can speak only as a library owner. Right. Um, if uh, I was speaking as a record company, uh, the numbers might be different. Um, if I was a major publisher, um, the numbers may or may not be different. Let's actually talk about that, because you were the first person to tell me about that. 
we were getting in some requests where the numbers were really high and I thought this has to be BS this can't be real and I called this gentleman up and he said no actually the same briefs will go out to libraries that go out to large indie labels or major labels or major publishers and they know when it goes to a major anything that they're going to pay way more money if they get a piece of music from that entity versus getting it from a library. So something that a library may typically get 2,500 to 5K on, um, if they're getting it from a, a large indie or a major or a major publisher, it might be something that's 10 to 50K. Is that a true statement? It is, it is a true statement. That being said, over the last, oh God, 10, 15 years, all the majors have started internal libraries. And the reason that they did that is because they knew they had to have music that would be, you know, one to two grand to be able to compete with the marketplace. You know, when when budgets are getting squeezed uh, by the networks and they go, oh, well, you've got a $20,000 budget per show and it's a music intensive show. Well, how many pieces of music do you think you're going to get for your 20 grand if you're going to major publishers all day long? Right. You know, so if you're if you're a show and, you know, there's 10 pieces of music in or 10 songs, let's say, in that show, um, it's just math. You know, if it's 20 grand is your budget or 30 grand is your budget, that's your budget and you got to make it happen. So that could mean if you do the math, it could be anywhere. If it's 10 pieces of music in a show and you got a twenty thousand dollar budget, what's the math? It's two grand a drop. And, you know, there's other you know, I've got a, a multitude of scenarios. I can't give you uh, this is what it is across the board because I've got um, pre-negotiated deals with some of the networks, meaning that if you use uh, a song with a vocal, it's X. If you use uh, instrumental, it's a, a different X. Um, I have some networks that I do a lot of business with, and we don't have a pre-negotiated deal, and it's whatever you know, I, I trust my music supervisor's idea with, it's like, well, what do you have in the budget, you know? And my job is to monetize the catalog. It's to make me and my writers money. And it's, I try not to say no very often. Yeah, and am I correct in stating that negotiation doesn't really happen a lot it may for a piece that's going in a big tv commercial but or maybe even a feature film but generally speaking because of the pie being sliced up um, as you just described only so much money in the budget is it typical that when you get a brief from let's say a broadcast network episodic drama uh you know and they say it's three thousand bucks you don't say you know Come on, give me thirty-seven hundred. You know, you just whatever they say is what what it is. is well, that... exactly. Or I just say no. I don't have anything that that works at that budget. I mean, you know, you get a a, a a large vendor turning to you and going, "I need a song for five hundred bucks." You know, that's when you start going, "Well, really?" I mean, and then you look at the stars that are in the film, and you go, "That's a major motion picture, really? Five hundred bucks all in?" I mean. And, you know, I get those emails. And so you have the, the dialogue. Well, okay, you know, it's not as busy of a day. Let's let's spend the time and pitch the music. And if we're slammed, that particular request, I hate to say it, just kind of 
it's prioritized down the list. And the, the guys that are, you know, offering 10K, 5K, 3K, whatever, that stays further up the list. You, you, it's just business. Um, somebody, Ken Bearden asked a question. When looking for a song for a scene where only a piece of the song will be used, what are you looking for? Um, I'm not even sure that scenario. I mean, I know that all, almost all the time it's a piece of a song that gets used. It's extremely rare. Uh, I always give the example that your best shot at getting a whole piece of music used is in a restaurant scene or something like that, where there's a long conversation going on, there's cocktail jazz in the background. That might play for the duration. But is, is it a true statement to say that probably 90, 95% of the time you're only going to get a piece of a song used? That's a great question. Well, I've been very, very lucky that I've placed songs in full montages where there's no dialogue over it, and it's extremely exposed. And it's another reason that I'm so, I don't like the term, but I'm so anal about the mixes and everything being spot on with, with the music I sign, because that, that does happen with me and with my clients. Um, my clients know that what I represent is some stellar music by some stellar writers and uh, it will hold a scene with no dialogue so that does happen does it happen where it, only a piece of the, the song gets used sure so let's say you know uh, uh you know strip club scene you know and they <laughs> they want something about you know you know big butts or something, you know, then, you know, it's, uh, or, or, you know, twerking or, or something along those lines, they go. may just grab the, the lyric that fits that particular thing. Then I've got other clients that they want, they want the feeling, the emotion of the song more than they really care about the lyrics. It, it depends on the, the particular placement. You know, I, I reached out to you last year. I had a client that was looking for things that sped up. I remember that, I, I, and I had just finished telling my staff a week before, I can't even imagine a scenario where they would want things, a piece of music that speeds up, and then you called that in, and it was like, really? Well, tell us why they wanted something that sped up and how it was used. Because the energy picked up. So it's, you know, if you think about, uh, a queen is a great example, um, you know, where you've got, the song is not all in one tempo. Right. You know, and, and the song picks up and, and uh, you know, I mean, we, I think We Are the Champions is one of them, um, you know, and the energy picks up and they want that energy. I think it was Leonard Skinner was something I think that they needed to, they were trying to find something that replaced that sensibility. And I forget what the song was, but it sped up. It had to be Freebird. That could have been. It yeah. could have been. Um, and so, yeah, it's not something I typically would have reached out for, but, you know, I'm st I was starting to see a trend for that. And so my job is to be able to make my clients happy. So I reached out to you and you yeah. actually came back with some results. You were surprised. Yeah, I was. I was surprised you even asked for it. But hey, we, I'm sure we've got somebody that can make anything, you know, in our retinue. I think that's the right word uh, of uh, writers, composers and artists. You know, there's always somebody that can do something really well. 
Well, um, you know, you have surprised the heck out of me, uh, or your company in general. There's been some pretty wacky things I've asked for, <laughs> and, you know, I've gotten them. In fact, I've gotten very, very high-quality examples of some pretty wacky stuff I've asked for. We've got a lot of talented people. You know, I, I know you've said this to me after the road rally. Um, Michael Lloyd, Ralph Murphy, many of the road rally regulars have said to me, I'm not telling you this just to stroke your ego, but every year at the road rally, I just keep hearing better and better music. Well, that's a thanks in large part to people like you and Ralph Murphy and Michael Lloyd and all, all the teachers and mentors at the road rally and panelists. We just keep heaping the education on and people just keep getting better. And the people who stick with us, you know, for year after year after year, it's like they're getting a doctorate in this, you know, music for media. It's not just making music. It's specifically about making music for media. And uh, I'm really, really proud of our members that you guys, I'm pointing to them now in the camera, um, that you're not asleep at the wheel. You do just keep getting better and better. And that's why it encourages us to keep giving you this education and why people like this gentleman that's on the show with us right now will give of their time. He could be making money right now. I know how many phone calls and emails he says um, that he, he does in a day. So for him to take 90 minutes out of his day to educate you guys, first of all, tells me a lot about his character and his generosity. But it, it comes back in spades to you, you know, giving you better product to go out there and shop. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, I've been doing this my entire life. You know, I was a in the trenches as a player for ever and ever and ever. And I happened upon publishing 30 some years ago and I'm glad I did. Um, but it's, it's important if people didn't pass on knowledge to me, um, I wouldn't be where I am. So, you know, I'm at this point in the game and I think it's important for all this talent. They, you know, the, it's great to have talent, but the business side of things needs to also be clarified. And I think that's that's the big barrier to get over to be able to get the income that you're describing, Michael. I mean, the, the, the money is out there. The placement potential, I've never seen anything in my 30 years uh, like it. I mean, I've, I'm doing business with companies that didn't exist five years ago. Um, and there's new ones, I'm telling you, right now that are being created, and they're going to need music, and it's just growing and growing and growing, and it's not stopping. Productions are on hold for right now, but they'll be back, and uh, again, when the floodgates open, it's, I think people's heads are going to spin. Um, let's do one last question. I can hear my fan on my computer running really hot again, and that's exactly what happened before the screen went blue. So uh -oh. if, if it happens again, you guys, and this is a first in 30-some years of having Macintoshes, if it happens again, we probably won't pick up the end of the show because we're so close to it. Um, do you ever reach out to people when you hear a piece of music that you think is viable in your catalog, which is important? Because uh, I know you well, and I know that you've actually reached out to me for another library owner's contact information. When you heard a great piece of music that wasn't right for your catalog, you passed on that piece of music, but you wanted to see it land somewhere and in a catalog of somebody else that actually had that 
kind of clientele and could use it. I was so impressed by that. You were already at like, you know, a level on my friend business professional friend list, but that took you uh, forever into the A plus region. So hats off. Oh, to thanks. Thank you. Thank I mean, you, that's you. the sign of a real professional and a really menchy person. So good for you. Well, um, thank you. Do you ever reach out when you hear a piece of music that you think is really good and it's almost usable for you, but if they only did this, if they changed the mix or they changed the ending or they changed even maybe the lyric hook, do you ever reach out to somebody and say, hey, I love it, but could you change this? Yes, in a word, yes. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna remain the mystery guy, <laughs> but uh, in the world of, of taxi riders, I'm known for that. That is that is definitely something I do. Again, I'm all about getting things over the finish line. I'm after the same thing that every taxi rider out there is after, which is placements. Right. And, you know, the better things are going to be, at least for my, you know, I've been doing this a while. So I have a, do I have all the answers? Heck no. But I, I've seen quite a bit in my day, and I have a pretty good sense of what's going to work. And yeah, if I think it's, you know, gosh, it's really close, I'm going to just say, hey, you know, I can't sign it the way it is, but if you were to, you know, do X, Y, or Z, or, or gosh, you know, I can hear the microphone, There's the, the cable wasn't plugged in all the way, and I can hear a hum, or any number of things, yeah, I'll get on the, I'll, I'll either shoot an email, um, and if it's a writer I know, I'll get on the phone, and I'll, I'll make mix suggestions, and uh it really is coming from a place of getting it over the finish line and getting it to land. In and you know who my clients are. They're not small people. These no. are these are large companies, and you know they're used to really high end music. And so if you're going to play in that, you're going to swim in that pool. Yeah, that's where it's got to be. And I don't mind taking the time. One last question, and hopefully we won't get a blue screen. Uh, universal lyrics. Um, it feels to me like two, three, four, five years ago, people were much more hung up on universal lyrics than they are now. And I'm not sure if that's because musicians, songwriters have learned that to add that aspect to their craft and write with universal lyrics, or if people using songs as background source, a bar scene, a jukebox, that it doesn't really matter if it mentions a name or the name of a town, if it's being played in the back of a bar scene. How do you feel about that? Um, I would imagine as a library that universal lyrics are still somewhat, if not very important to you, because you never know what the pitch is and you never know, you know, universal lyrics are easier to deal with than not. Am I right about that? Well, yes, absolutely. That being said, um, you know, <laughs> uh, I won't mention any names, but I have been on a taxi rally once or twice where a supervisor will say, uh, I never pay that close attention to lyrics. Right. And then a week or two later, I'll get an email and they're looking for very specific lyric content. And <laughs> Um, you know, in the you know they can't help it. They're they're answering to a producer that's asking for X, Y, or Z. Um, but I would say universal lyrics are, are a good place to be writing from. I would also say branch out and don't just write relationship songs. I mean, I can't tell you how many times 
I go, oh, I've got the perfect piece of music, and I pull it up, and I go, oh, dang, they, you know, they don't want it to be about love, right? Um, or they want it to be about familial love, not relationship love, not like you know, you and me, boyfriend, girlfriend, or whatever the relationship being. It 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 could be you know, mom, dad grandma grandpa i mean a friend yeah absolutely those are going to be really important in the relatively near future as people start looking for stuff for the the post-pandemic uh productions um yeah there's going to be all kinds of love in those you know well absolutely i mean and again going back you know we shall overcome i mean all that is going to be rearing its head and 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 you know what It, it it will be viable for years to come because you know, if it's a if it's a scene and if it's it's about football players or it's about a baseball player or it's about any sports person, you know, uh, overcoming obstacles is part of sports. You know, it's not just uh, viruses and economic downturns. It's you know, it's part of the human experience. And you know, I, I I've been around again for a while, but you know, the Beatles were a funny group in that. They wrote about a lot of different things, you know. It wasn't just, you know, I want to hold your hand. I mean, there was a lot of, I am the walrus. I mean, I don't know if I could get that place these days, but um, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's, it, I think it's it's good to branch out. I think, but if you can, again, going back to the 60s, you know, all you need is love or, um, you know, uh, uh, togetherness, you know, uh, uh, I th- I think those songs were not that specific. It wasn't there wasn't a girl's name uttered or a guy's name uttered. Occasionally there was, but it's kind of held true. Absolutely. Hey, one last thing I wanted to just uh, uh, share, Michael. Sure. Coming back to uh, uh, writers getting paid and making money. Yes. There's one other thing I want to encourage writers to do. And that is, is when you are signing with a publisher or a multitude of publishers, if you move, be sure to reach out to those publishers and let them know where you, your new address. Um, I can't tell you how many times over the bunch of years that somebody moves, we send a check and it comes back to us. Wow. Um, how? What percentage of people get checks versus uh, direct deposits? Is it all done by check? Everything in the U.S. typically for us is done via check. Um, as far as writers that are out of the country, largely it's PayPal. Oh, that makes sense. Unless they have some other thing. Otherwise, you know, I, I don't want to have to keep track, nor should I keep track of writers uh account numbers and this and that I, that's just you know that's rot for lawsuits and problems and i just don't want to get into that but right. you know uh we've done it's pretty much paypal or, or check and largely you know it's it in the u.s it's checks i'm a fan of checks i know i'm old school i still get paper bank statements and i hate that the paper you know gets wasted but we do uh, the first week I lived in Los Angeles, I did a deposit at an ATM. This was 1988, and they really hadn't perfected it yet. And I lost $1,100 in that transaction. And the bank were, were 
jerks about it and I never saw that money. So from that day forward, everything I do at the bank is on paper. And uh, Yeah, I understand. You and I have both experienced that. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, Although, you know, you know, I've had some vendors actually go to direct deposit with me, which I find rather interesting. But, you know, um, the mail can be precarious sometimes. And I do like to have writers let me know that they did receive payment. So, um, and generally, all it has to be is, thanks, got the, got the, the check you know um that way i know it got from point a to point b well thank you for spending this 90 minutes with us um your information is always great uh i personally love the way you do business and i wish everybody in the industry i mean you know i don't know none of the companies we work with are scummy but you are the pinnacle of doing it right and i'm i'm proud of you uh for doing it that way i'm grateful that I've learned so much from you. I'm grateful for your generosity in teaching our members so much. And uh, I'm sure... Hey, I love these guys. Well, thank you. They love you back. And uh, I'll give you a call, you know, probably after dinner tonight, just to wrap up with a thank you. Uh, right now, we're going to deal with editing those two pieces together in the show before <laughs> we put them up. Um, so thank you. Uh, I will talk to you this evening and... Uh, Give my love to your lovely wife and... Uh, you yeah. got it. And stay safe out there, everybody. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. He's the best. All right, you guys. Thank you. Yes, we will be back tomorrow with a quarantini. Um, and that's it. I hope you enjoyed the show. Sorry for the blue screen thing. I have no idea what caused that, but uh, we'll figure it out. See you next time on another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Oh, by the way, don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you're not already a subscriber to our channel. And hit the like thing. Tell us that you like this show, will you please? See you soon. Bye-bye.